Listening to World of Noise right here on X-Ray FM and the X-Ray Podcast Network. I'm your host, Bob Ham. This is a weekly show that takes a look at the Portland music scene, interviewing artists, bookers, promoters, and as with today's episode, local folks who run record labels here in town. If you have any kind of interest in modern jazz or beat music or experimental sounds, you already are well aware of the work that International Anthem is doing. Since 2014, this imprint has been the home to some of the most exciting and forward-thinking artists of our time. That includes names like Micaiah McRaven, the trumpeter Rob Masaryk, as Aluchatistas. Another incredible trumpeter by the name of Jamie Branch. and a stunning artist who goes by the name of Angel Bat Dawid. The trajectory of this label has been amazing to watch, with everyone from the New York Times to Pitchfork to The Wire falling all over themselves to praise the label and the work that they've done. So it's no surprise that other labels have come calling, wanted to tap into this creative wellspring that International Anthem has created. That's in part why International Anthem has entered into a partnership with None Such Records, a label with a long and storied history that is currently the home of artists like the Magnetic Fields, Laurie Anderson, and the Kronos Quartet. The two labels are joining forces for a series of releases that maintains the international anthem aesthetic, but helps bring the music to a wider audience through none such as distribution reach. The first fruits of this collaboration came out just last month in the form of Sweet for Max Brown, the new album from jazz guitarist and member of the post-rock group Tortoise, Jeff Parker. What you might not know about the label is that it exists in part here in Portland. While almost all of the artists they work with are located in Chicago, and that's where International Anthem's offices are still, the label's co-founder Dave Allen calls Portland home. Working on projects from here and racking up frequent flyer miles as he zips back to Chicago and beyond on behalf of the label. In light of the new developments with Nonesuch and the increasing amount of attention that International Anthem has received, I was very lucky to get Dave Allen down to the X-Ray Studios to talk about the history and the future of the label. How 
How long have you been here in Portland, Dave? Um, I've been here officially since 2015. Okay. But I've been here on and off since all the time since 2012. <laughs> because interna- so, I mean, that's almost 10 years. That's now. almost 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Because International Anthem, uh, the label, you started with Scotty McNeese uh, back in 2014. Is that about mm-hmm. that time? Um, now, you two knew each other sort of from the Midwest scene, music scene, a lot of punk shows, I'm guessing. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. He lived in Bloomington, Indiana, and I lived in Carbondale, Illinois, two small college towns. Right deep in the midwest <laughs> and so you know we would go play shows in each other's towns and we kind of got to know each other and eventually we went on like a long tour together oh cool we, we uh yeah we went on like a 40-day tour all in the same van and scotty and i we booked the tour so we didn't have like a booking agent or anything so we booked the tour together and that's like we got like got along and figured out that we could collaborate and we like worked well together and, like that's when we deeply became friends it's also when i met my wife in portland on on that tour. Oh, that's wonderful. So, <laughs> that's how I got here. Nice. We played at Roture. R.I.P. Oh. Right? What were the bands that you guys were in? I was in time? a band called Spokesman, and he was in a band called Prizzy Prizzy Please. Oh, I know Prizzy Prizzy Please. Yeah. yeah. All right. They're, you know, legends of the Midwest. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Great band. <laughs> now, through this, were, were you, because one of the, the roles that you have with this label is doing a lot of the engineering work and recording work and sort of mastering, mixing, that kind of thing. Was that sort of uh, going on through that time? Have you sort of delving into that world of behind the scenes work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically sort of picking up after that tour, Scotty moved to Chicago and I just kind of, I was living in Carbonell and I was getting a lot more into jazz and also a lot more into engineering. And I was, I had a little studio with like an eight track tape machine and was recording every band that I could, all my friends' <laughs> bands, you know, experimenting on them, learning, getting deep into becoming an engineer. And Scotty started booking this show series in Chicago and I started like taking the train up to check it out. And, um, it was all like jazz and improvised music and I kind of started to have my mind blown by that and then the it was like a series they had been doing for a couple of years and it, it was coming to an end and so he wanted to record the last few and he knew that I was an engineer and we, we were like pretty tight so I came up to record that show mm-hmm. and that ended up being our first release was that Rob Mazurik alternate moon cycles right. and like very shortly at that point I was going to Chicago all the time and I, we were like sitting in his apartment the next day with the tape because I had like brought a tape machine up to do it and um, it just it was such a, so it felt really exciting to us and we had a lot of ideas and mm-hmm. so I moved to Chicago and we kept presenting shows and this was probably 2012 so okay. this is really kind of when we started the label okay because I, I think anyone who is a fan of jazz music and experimental music you know knows that Chicago is a hotbed for that music between you know the work of the AACM or labels like Thrill Jockey and Drag City who and Touch and Go who all sort of started in there in the Midwest and in and around Chicago at that time so um it's it's exciting to hear you know you guys tapping into that I mean Rob Mazurik had been there for a while playing with um Isotope 217 Isotope 217 and the Chicago Underground Duo and Trio and all these other projects but uh, you know you guys once you know you released this first recording um, which is Rob Mazurik's Alternate Moon Cycles but then um, not long after that or not long after you recorded that and we're getting this going you know you there were 
it was a residency with Makai McRaven, who's sort of a, a younger up-and-comer there in Chicago. At least that's how I see him. I don't know if I have the timeline correct on that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you're... you're you know, you're booking this residence. Uh, did you guys help book this residency for Micaiah? We Is did. Is that how it started? Yeah. Yeah. It was born out of this first residency that we did. It was just called Trio. It was called Trio and Curio. Or I can't actually remember the exact <laughs> name, but like uh, it was in the space Curio and Scotty was curating it. And we met a lot of people through the scene that way. And uh, we had met Micaiah that way. And we loved what he was doing and we were like wow we could really do something cool together so when we started this new residency at a different place we had the idea to just center it around Micaiah Mm -hmm. and so we kind of like schemed up the concept with Micaiah together and we were just doing this weekly series where Micaiah would play and we would kind of we and Micaiah would work together to figure out who he should play with and they would just improvise okay and the the name of this series was spontaneous composition Mm -hmm. and that it was the idea that they weren't just improvising in the free in like a free sense but more with the goal of doing a spontaneous composition right so and, and then we started quickly we started recording them first very in a very primitive way because we had like a SoundCloud where we were like putting up the recordings every week just mm-hmm. to kind of help promote the series and the recordings were really cool so we just kind of kept bringing a little bit more gear every time until eventually <laughs> we did like a year's worth of recording with a whole mobile recording setup that we every Wednesday we were hauling down into this basement on <laughs> division <laughs> I think you know looking at the lineup for this record it seems like it's like a a who's who of what was really happening within the underground jazz scene there in Chicago between Micaiah's stuff and then you've got Matt Eulery's playing bass on there Marquise Hill on trumpet Jeff Parker uh, who was also an ISO 217 member and Merv Tortoise at that time playing guitar and Joshua Abrams on bass um was that sort of the first record that you put out this record in the moment, which is like worked with Micaiah sort of crafting all these recordings that you'd done with him into this amazing suite of music? Because it's not like it's not like it's just a live recording because it's very, you know, processed and really worked over in post-production, which is one of the things I think that really caught people's attention about that record. Um, was that the first record that kind of really caught a lot of people's attention in the outside of Chicago? Yeah, I think so. We were, I mean, it, it was born from the similar process that we had done with the Rob Zurich record, just over a lot more time. And, and really, Micaiah brought that something really special with his like post-composition style. Because our original idea was just to release the straight recordings. And we were excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. And then he started sending us these edits that he made. And it was pr- really clearly like, oh, this is the thing. Like, this is really amazing what he's doing with the editing. And, and sometimes it's like really, it's really hard to tell what's an edit and what isn't. Right. And it was like, it made it some really interesting music. And we were, I mean, we were all, this was 2013. So it was still two years before we released the album. It, it kind of took us a while to finish the album and figure out how to start a label because we were starting it from scratch. And we, <laughs> <laughs> um, neither of us had really done that before so it kind of took a while and by the time we released it it was we were kind of like ah i don't know like will people pay attention to this Mm -hmm. we we don't know we've been working on it for so long (laughs) and so when people really did get excited about it it was 
really cool for us, you know. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, that, that really it was inspiring, and it was like, wow, we really can. It kind of like helped us re envision what we what was possible. And at the same time, like e- even right after that record came out, there was a remix version of the record mm-hmm. that Micaiah did as a cassette, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another amazing thing that uh, that I love about the label is how open you are to formats that you've released like these short run cassettes of things and releasing things on vinyl and cd obviously and and digitally as well um was that uh, very intentional on your guys's part to sort of keep it very agnostic in that way to make sure that there were all these various ways for people to hear the music and to share it with people yeah it was i mean i think from the beginning we kind of had this vision of how could we expand the audience for this kind of music beyond the people that are just already aware of it and mm. and and so like the packaging design and the formats we were releasing the music in and, and creating something that felt special and kind of like helped you have an entry point to see the magic of the music that was happening there the the packaging and presentation felt like a very important way to achieve that and so doing things on different formats and and kind of trying to cre- tell the story through these special packages that mm-hmm was a part of the goal and like part of our vision to getting to the broader end goal. What was the broader end goal? Did you have anything in mind? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have a mission statement from that we have on the back of all of our records, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, I'm now I'm, if I'm forced to recite it, I'm no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> we can look at, maybe you can look it up. It's on the OB strip of all of our records. Right. And, and I, I mean, but in a nutshell, you know, we wanted to like, we were really inspired by the music that we discovered in Chicago and really inspired by, you know, coming from like punk and DIY. And I mean, maybe this is a classic tale, like people discovering jazz and having it feel even more punk or something. <laughs> but like, it's true though. It really touched us and, and it came as a, even like maybe a bit of a surprise, but we were like, this is, you know, we didn't come from the background of like this like scholarly appreciation of jazz and we wanted to help but so much of jazz is presented in that way yeah. and only for that audience. And we were like, we thought it was so cool and we wanted <laughs> to help other people that the scholarly entry point wouldn't work for them mm-hmm. still be able to discover the music. And I mean, cause that's also like not where most of the artists exist, you know, like they're not existing wanting to just in this scholarly bubble of historic debate or reenactment of some style, like right. they're trying to create something new and exciting. And, and we wanted to create a new and exciting platform that wasn't bound to like specific genre definitions. We wanted to blow that open and like reach a whole new audience of people in like an exciting way that people, we wanted to create a home for music that didn't exist that didn't exist at the time mm-hmm. and and so i think we saw like a vision for how we could do that and we've been exploring that and like just letting it carry us down that road and as the audience has gotten bigger and what we can do for these artists has broadened you know we're sort of constantly reevaluating what the end goal and what our methods are just to serve the artists and try to increase the platform that we were trying to create for them did you have anyone as you were starting at the label, it sort of served as a mentor to sort of like tapping people for resources to be like, well, how do we do this? How do we get a record pressed? Or was that stuff that you would sort of picked up along the way? We, I mean, I would say that most of our inspiration came from the artists, you know? Okay. And like, like from the very beginning, working with Rob Mazurik is, who's like such an inspiring, creative 
bold person who like is not afraid to like take something that you just spent hours working on and then turn it upside down you know and like that was <laughs> yeah that was our first experience like making a record with one of these people and that was really inspiring to us like and i think like i we try to like learn from that and carry that freedom and the ability to really listen to the artist because they're going to come at us with the most exciting ideas and, yeah. and similarly with micaiah he's he's not one to like make a plan and follow it. it you know, <laughs> we're constantly reinventing the plan as we go with whatever feels like the most exciting thing. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's, that's kind of what's guiding us. And we're kind of really always just searching for the feeling and trying to go with what seems inspiring at the time. Maybe I'm rambling now, but the, the more practical side of it, I mean, we didn't have a specific mentor. We kind of like, I had at that point, like, had a very small label where I would put out recordings for my friends or my own bands mm-hmm. that couldn't, no one wanted to put out their recording. <laughs> so like I had some experience, I had put out one record and I had done a lot of cassette tapes. And so I like took that and that's how we did the first few. Like I just used the context that I had and we all, I also, we did a lot of research. We, you know, we went to like a nice mastering studio, Chicago mastering service. And mm-hmm. like, I would always pick their brain about like, how do you make a really good sounding record? Cause it was important to us to like be presenting the music and, like premium format yeah. you know like high as high fidelity as possible even if we're recording the music on a four track Tascam in a bar, the basement of a bar <laughs> we wanted the record to be like an excellent pressing and also just being thrifty and like being like how can we make a really deluxe package in a way that we can afford and mm-hmm. and so like all of our records until last year we were still assembling them all by hand and like we would have the jackets pressed one place where i could get the best quality jacket for the best price and we would press the obi strips through this contact that i had when i used to work in a copy shop because like for years when i was trying to become a sound engineer i like worked in a copy place and and so i still (laughs) use the contact to print all the obi strips and then we'd get them cut and then we fold and glue them by hand and all the records are still assembled by hand here in portland from my basement until the end of until the beginning of 2019 wow and I mean, that's just how we did it. And then that was kind of how we knew how to, do, we were kind of trapped in that after a while, because that's the only <laughs> way we knew how to make these really deluxe packages sure. without spending a fortune was to do it by hand. So I have a bunch of friends in Portland that have done a lot of record assembly. You owe a lot basement. of favors to I do. now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I think has made International Anthem stand out is I think both in the, the breadth of the music that you've done, because as I think people... There's some group, some people, writers, you know, fans or whatever, that kind of want to pigeonhole this is a jazz label. But that's really not what I would consider you guys because you've released very experimental things, very noisy things and stuff that, you know, goes beyond through jazz into other worlds like, you know, hip hop and, you know, African music. I'm thinking of the um, the um, the record you do with Damon Locks and the Black Monument Ensemble, which seems to go beyond jazz into its own almost genre. One of the things that reasons that I think the label has gotten a lot of attention is your willingness to be open to different styles of music and to different players, but and 
facilitating an artist's vision, I think, because I think some labels, bigger labels especially, you know, they want to put their stamp on it or people who are making these records really want to put their stamp on a record or, you know, make sure that it's sort of their sound where that never has felt like your intention, where you just kind of want to keep the the doors open creatively to anyone that excites you guys and make sure that they're hearing what they want to hear on these records. Does that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's some a line that we like been really carefully trying to walk which is how do we brand how do we like have a brand because we're trying to turn people on we're trying to grow an audience and turn people on to this boundary defying music for m- artists that are new to most people like yeah. artists that people have never heard of so we want to have like a strong aesthetic and like we've been working towards that but at the same time really not imposing our style like a specific style on the artist and mm-hmm. giving them the freedom to do what they want to do and communicate that and so like that's kind of like what with the obi strip is like a part of that intentional design a way to tie together the look of the records yeah without really imposing ourselves on the artwork too much and but at the same and the same thing with the sound but for us we really like to be a part of making the records like like our name i mean we chose to be called international anthem recording company rather than international anthem the record label or whatever right because we like to be a part of the recording and probably at least half the records we put out like we've had a hand in making them from the very beginning whether it's working and collaborating with the artist on the circumstances under which the recording occurs or doing the recording ourselves or Mm. helping them through some part of the process and in that way i think we do have a sound but it's not a really i think it's a sound that allows the artist's sound to come through you know and trying to work with people in a way that is really natural and instead of imposing like a really strict studio setting on them we Mm -hmm. kind of we're the opposite where we're really willing to blow it open and make a record under a circumstance that most people would never be willing to do (laughs) whether it's outside or in front of an audience or in their sister's apartment or what whatever i i think we feel like that's a fun challenge Mm -hmm. and a way to really let the artist shine through and rather than being like oh this isn't going to work we have to control the sound and and you have to be in isolation and right so that's our sound in a way i think I yeah think. and i also feel that at least from all the stories that that i've heard from you read about the label that having a bit of a personal relationship with the artist on some level is very important as well um i mean i don't correct me if i'm wrong i don't think you've have you ever been in a situation where you've been sent a demo or sent a record by someone you don't know and just be like, we want this on the label or does it have to be someone that you either see live or know personally? I don't think it has to be anyway, but I think for us, it's a really personal thing and the way that we work, we need to really trust the artist and the artist needs to trust us and we need to be able to work in, we need to be in it together. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of lends itself to the relationships that we've developed and we, it has to be someone that's willing to operate at the, our speed. And, and so we find people that we like to work with, and I think it just kind of naturally plays out that way. Okay. And, yeah, usually, I mean, we think we, we also are trying to grow a community. It's a big part of what we're doing. And so a lot of the records have happened in a really, they've grown in a really organic way, all sort of from the, our very beginning in Chicago. From We met a lot of people in the scene, and I think built trust with those people through the series that Scotty first started in mm-hmm. Chicago and the way 
people liked the way that he was presenting them and the way that they were being treated through the series, through this little series we were doing in this basement, and where the stakes were pretty low. But I mean, still. You, you still go about it with a certain ethic, and I think that we've carried that through everything that we're doing, and we've found certain people that really like that and that we work well with, and that transferred into Makai's series and a lot uh, that's how we met Jeff Parker it was mm-hmm. through him playing with Micaiah and then I think Jeff saw what we did with Micaiah's record and thought oh like maybe they would be a good person to put out my record and we were I mean you know and then from that other things have happened it's just been like a very organic way of growing the community and, and for us it feels like the right way mm-hmm. and we're not trying to make some really ambitious leap that of strategy by like <laughs> oh this if we signed this artist we would be huge. Like that's not it at all. That's right. Not, it's like we want to do things that are part of expanding the community and like continuing to lift those people up and like build it to be a thing where we're able to do more for the people that we really care about. Mm-hmm. International Anthem and a lot of your artists have been written about and talked about on some pretty big platforms. And New York Times has covered you guys. Pitchfork just did a piece about talking with you and Scotty about the label. But what was sort of the first either thing that you saw or read or the first record that really got so much got in so much attention that you were kind of surprised and sort of realized, oh, this could actually be going somewhere where we didn't expect. <laughs> I think there's been a couple points. I think Makaya's first record was a point like mm-hmm. that where it was very quickly, I mean, people who we have a lot of respect for were getting excited about the record and that was like, for us, it was like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> and then I think along the way, maybe when we did Jamie Branch's first record, mm. that was like a point where it really received like a widespread critical acclaim. And that I think that felt really good. And it felt like, you know, we had so much respect for Jamie and we love Jamie's work. And to be able to see like people all over the world agree <laughs> and like see what she's doing and like and respect it and give it the acknowledgement that it deserved felt really cool. And it was like, this is a bottle for like what we hope to achieve. And it was beautiful. Jamie is an amazing artist and is, has been around for a long time, but had never released her own record yeah. where she was the lead artist. And it was a long time coming, you know? And like, it was really cool to see it get a lot of attention. And then I think, to continue and answer this question, <laughs> Micaiah's Universal Beings record also kind of was like another level where yeah. it was like really broad exposure that surprise even us you know mm-hmm. and I mean it was cool because we'd been working on the record for a long time and we'd been working with Micaiah for a long time it was like the fourth record we had done with Micaiah in four years it, and that's not even counting the remix tapes and EF sides and things like that right. but like it was cool because we'd been working to tell his story and <laughs>
lot of what we do is isn't just yeah waiting for an album to come along that fits our aesthetic and putting it out. You know, we were working with Bakaya to to develop a style of making records that worked for us mm-hmm. and and really expressed Makai's strengths and his vision and I th- you know through the course of building for years we got to that point and we were really able to communicate that clearly to people like people were able to hear the record and like hear what's so unique about what Makai's doing and hear this community of people all over the world that he's like doing it with and mm-hmm. so to me it was like it was cool that to see that resonate it was a sign that we were like doing it you know <laughs> which is which feels good you know i can imagine yeah yeah you've released so many amazing records and have grown in an amazing organic way since you guys started the label some you know six eight years ago at this point um now i want to get into uh the big news that happened at the end of last year which was the announcement that you guys were uh working with none such records which is uh a label that's been around for at least 40 years, maybe longer than that. Um, they've released a lot of amazing work between their early days, releasing a lot of folk and classical stuff to what they're doing now. Again, working with classical artists, they, they've released a lot of John Adams' work and Laurie Anderson, as well as like Wilco and the Magnetic Fields. Um, how did that relationship with None Such start? And was that... Until, yeah, just let's start there. How did that relationship start? Well, we met them, the p- people from None Such... Uh, at I think a show of Makai's in New York and it, they were just seemed like down to earth people and we got to talking <laughs> about things and I think Scotty went and had tea with them or something and and like they we were expressing mutual ad- admiration for what each other were doing and we, we were kind of like it would be cool if we collaborated on something and you know I, for us it was it really exciting that they were interested in what we were doing and and because for us we see a lot of what we're trying to achieve in what they have been able to achieve, which is to be able to really not be bound by genre, to be able to work right. with people who are making incredible records in in many different types of genres uh, simultaneously, and and so really, I think the way that they present the artists is is really nice, and that they do a good job. And for us, it was really we're a five year old label, and they're a fifty year old label, and like <laughs> there's a lot that we can learn from them, and so. It, for us, it seemed like really cool to be able to work on something together, and they've been really, really cool to deal with, and and it, it's been it's been working so far. We've already learned a lot. I mean, they just we're a two person team. I mean, now we have a lot of people that are helping us more regularly, but still, like to work with a big label, things are very different, and so it's, yeah. it's cool to see a different perspective. And uh, since you know we're learning how to do this as we go it's cool to have a uh, some mentorship in the way that they're giving us while also they're giving us total creative freedom to do whatever we want which is great that's all you can ask for really yeah. Yeah. at the same time um was this the right time for a relationship like this to happen with a bigger label because of where International Anthem had gotten to by this point? You know, you're talking earlier before about assembling all these records in your basements, and was it getting to a point where it was becoming too much to handle for just two people and some friends and stuff? And it was like, oh, this is the good thing that could happen, that they can take some of these worries off of our shoulders and we can really concentrate on the thing we love doing which is recording these bands putting out these records and designing them in such a great way definitely i mean we 
it's funny because these points happen simultaneously, mm-hmm. which they're not probably they're not even aware of, you know. But I mean, like at this time when we're having meetings with them, you know, I'm still having to like go home and ask my friends to come over and help me pack and ship like 400 Makaya orders or whatever that came through <laughs> that were like that people are waiting on, you know, and like it's still and I'm shipping pallets from the street of front of my house in southeast Portland, you know. Mm-hmm. Like trying to avoid the rain, and <laughs> it is so. It, we were to a point where it's like, I mean, it's it was a problem. It was a good problem, but it was definitely a problem. Sure. Where it was like, how do we get through this and be able to get back to doing what we really want to do, which is make records? And and how can we? We have always wanted to be more prolific. There's no shortage of artists that we want to work with, but to, to do like a record like Makaya's Universal Beings, that kind of sapped us of all of our resources for over a year to wow. just be able to get that out in the fashion that we wanted to and that we knew it deserved it required us to do less than we would have wanted to do so really we had to make some moves to be able to move forward and do the creative things that we wanted to do mm-hmm. and, to, and to be able to support these Jeff and Jamie and Micaiah all doing things at the same time which it takes a level of resources we didn't have otherwise I, I mean I guess I should also clarify it now that the partnership with None Such is kind of limited. We're we're doing two records a year with them okay. for the next couple of years, but we're still doing a lot of records on our own. Uh, most of the records, I mean, I think you know, we'll, of ten records we'll do, we'll do two with None Such, and mm-hmm. it is just we're still working with our other distribution partner in the U.S. and and outside of the U.S. We're not we're only doing None Such in North and South America, mm-hmm. so. But what it's done is allow us to take on some more ambitious projects that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And that having the additional resources and like help to be able to do that and also to be able to give a platform for an artist that may want to step even beyond what we're capable of doing, it's allowing us to like help open those steps up, which is really exciting for us. Yeah. We would never want to like limit one of our artists. You know, we want to not have the limits. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the, the the first record you've done in partnership with Nonsuch, which was the new Jeff Parker record, Sweet from Max Brown, I think is the perfect record for that because he's an artist who, as I talked about earlier, is pretty established in, you know, the worlds that uh, I, you know, usually run in or did usually run in like, you know, the sort of indie rock, post-rock world as a member of Tortoise and I still 217. And I know I'm, you know, playing with jazz artists as well, but that's how I first got introduced to him. And he is at that point where he really needs an, a little extra push to get further out there and to get heard by more people outside of that world to realize what a talent he is on his own. Right. And so that's, yeah, it's the perfect record to do that. Yeah. We felt the same way. It was like, what record will we start this partnership with? And Jeff seemed like the perfect answer because it, he's sort of like the sage of our label family in a way. <laughs> and you know, he's almost, he's like, has one foot in the generation before that, mm-hmm. that inspired so many of the people who we're working with, you know, people who came up through the ACM or going to the Velvet Lounge or Rodan and Wicker Park, like these places that inspired a lot of the people that we work with that are a little younger than Jeff. And like Jeff was very instrumental in those things that were happening and and has inspired a lot of the things that really inspired us to start the label. So mm-hmm. to, it, it seemed like Jeff's like a really, and a bit of a mentor to us in, in a way. And so... And I feel like Nonsuch is a, is a place where Jeff's music fits really naturally. And so it, it felt like a really nice way to start the partnership.
we wrap this up, I want to ask about the next record that is on the horizon for International Anthem, which is the record by Alabaster, Alabaster de Plume. Is yeah. that how I'm saying that Alabaster correctly? Alabaster de Plume. Alabaster, yes. <laughs> Alabaster de Plume, which is uh, coming out on February 28th, the album To Sai and Lee Instrumentals Volume 1. Uh, tell me about Alabaster de Plume and how this relationship started. We met Alabaster in London. He's a he's a British musician. He's originally from Manchester, but he lives in London at this space, Total Refreshment Center, mm. which is kind of a hub for the new jazz scene in London. It's a warehouse venue that, that's no longer that got shut down, but <laughs> it, it where our friend Lex uh, was curating these incredible shows. And they also, so there's like a warehouse with a venue and then above it they have a recording studio and kind of like a lounge where people are hanging out and some people live there also. We went to London a couple years ago because a lot of our artists were touring and having to be in Europe in the same time and we were kind of excited about the music that was happening in London and we thought, oh wow, we everyone's over there. We If we just get ourselves over there, we can throw a show in London. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. And so we did. And we were looking for a place to do it. And we found Total Refreshment Center. And we were looking at what they did. And we were like, wow, this looks like right up our alley. These mm-hmm. are This looks like these are our people. And we went there and we felt at home right away. It was like very much in the same spirit and style of what we were doing. Like, I mean, we got there and they were like tearing down a wall and trying to insulate it so that they wouldn't bother their neighbors when they were having these like maybe illegal shows in this venue <laughs> and uh, but the shows were incredible they had a, like you know this big raw space with but with an amazing sound system that they had brought in and like the hospitality of everyone who was staffing the venue was just so warm it, it, clearly they had like their head in the right and heart in the right place where mm-hmm. it was like a really beautiful environment of people really diverse crowd and and everyone was smiling and having a great time and you'd you were seeing like quote unquote jazz music but everyone was dancing and and some laughing and having a great time is very different from what you imagine going to like a jazz club and seeing jazz and that's exactly what we were trying to do is like take the music out of that environment and put it in an environment that feels more inviting to mm-hmm. people who don't consider themselves like aficionados of jazz because that's not what we are and that's not how we're trying to present the music. And so, anyways, we went to Total Refreshment Center. We spent a week there. We recorded Micaiah's Chicago, London record there. And both live and in the studio, we recorded part of Universal Beings there also. The London session was done in the Total Refreshment Center studio. Mm -hmm. And we just made a lot of friends there. And one of the people that we met was Gus, or Alabaster de Plume is (laughs) is his stage name. But his, his name is Gus. And... Gus was just a character who was there always at TRC and we really got along with him he was just like a really amazing person you can tell like the you someone you can really connect with and eventually we discovered his music and because he had a record uh, Corner of a Sphere that came out um, a couple years ago it was a really beautiful record and we really it was like the kind of person that you meet and you don't forget them and then when we discovered his music and it was like wow this is incredible and we learned about this series of shows that he'd been doing called Peach where he would have these really participatory shows uh, that weren't very rehearsed and he would bring in lots of different musicians from different backgrounds and they would do these big really communal shows that looked so powerful and he made a record of from those recordings also and so we became interested in what he was doing and we 
went and eventually went back to TRC and we recorded Jamie Branch's second Fly or Die mm-hmm. album at TRC also and we got to know him better and then he eventually approached us and said that he had this record of instrumentals that he wanted to put out and he was wondering if we would want to do a three-way label split with his label Lost Map the label that he normally works with which is based on an island in Scotland and run as sort of a kind of com- communal operation Whoa. and then TRC who has their own label and he, he, Gus was like do you want to do he was like I love you all of you do you want to do this split release together and like doing a split release is already kind of a tricky situation where it's kind of like why <laughs> do we why are we doing this and then I mean, there's many reasons to do it, but it never quite works out the way you anticipate <laughs> Or that, that had been our experience of splits. I mean, you do them, we've done them because we wanted to, because we felt a kinship with another label, but it's right. difficult too, because it's like, who does what? And so doing a three way split seemed insane. <laughs> but at the same time, like, his reason for doing it was this communal spirit. And we were like, yeah, this sounds awesome. And the music was gorgeous. It is like a collection of instrumentals, mostly that he had previously released. They're sort of interludes and instrumental tracks that were between his vocal tracks on his albums that he had released earlier that had kind of like fallen through the cracks. And he had resequenced them into this really beautiful way and added a couple of new songs. just really fell in love with the music and with his message he he's really active in politics in england and also just really focused around he has just a really positive message i think <laughs> a really like sort of humanist message that uh i can't even begin to explain you need to look <laughs> him up um just because i wouldn't do it justice sure um but we're really for us it felt like a strange or you know, do, releasing a record by someone from another country, it needed to feel right. And with Alabaster, it just felt like such the perfect fit for us. Just right. he is really inspiring his music and him as a person and what he was doing as an artist. And with his approach, his a unique approach to being a musician felt really aligned with what we were trying to do and really, really inspiring to us, kind of even challenging us thinking about why are we doing what we're doing and how we're doing it and seeing what he's been able to achieve in the way he plays shows and builds community around his music was really inspiring. And, and so we were like really excited to work with him on this record, not to mention the record's gorgeous and it brings in like elements of folk music sort of from all over the world. And, wow. Uh, it feels very ancient and very like human to me and really beautiful music and it just really felt like a nice fit. <laughs> Most of the artists that you have worked with, you know, are in some circles pretty well known. Like you said, Jamie Branch had never released a record on her own, but she's played with tons of different people. Um, I first found her through a Jason Ajemian record that came out like, you know, 20 years ago at this point. Yeah. You know, Jeff Barker's put out stuff with Tortoise, etc. has done some solo things. Um, and a lot of these artists, you know, like Makaya McCraven have, again, you know, played with other folks, but, you know, are not, weren't known names and you guys started working with them. Um, 
Would you like to get to a point with a label where you could start working with some more legacy name artists, or would you rather stick with the aesthetic you have now, sort of working with younger, lesser-known folks? I think for us now, we're really inspired by the way that we're working and what we're doing with people, and and we have a way that we like to work, and it's interesting to us to continue to pursue that. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's our interest. I I don't think that we have, I mean, and so I think mostly it's inspiring to us to keep working the way we've been working and and work within and from within our community and continue to expand outward that way. We're not opposed to like working with a legendary artist, but at at the same time, it would need to feel like there's a reason why Sure. for us. uh, We're not in it just to get to that point. I think we really love the process, mm-hmm. and so it would need we need to have a good reason of why and what and also a good reason of what we're contributing because we really like to be a part of the process and yeah. and, and, and helping someone get there because it's fun for us and we like to be a part of making the record and and a part of telling the story and because that's what we're good at and we want to like bring what we're good at to the table instead of like just being a nice platform for someone who's created something that. Right. That we had nothing to do with. Yeah, yeah. You're just you, <laughs> we're less, not looking less, to just put our name on something. I think right. we, we like to be a part of. We like to work hard for what we're doing and and be able to be a part of it and and be able to bring something to the artist, something, some part of ourselves. You know. Right. So again, your next release is Alabaster de Plumes to Cy and Lee Instrumentals Volume One. Uh, do you already have things in the works for? the rest of 2020 or some part of 2020 and is there anything you can talk about at this point yeah we're working on a bunch of records right now we're always working on a bunch of, of records. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's we love recording and working with the artists so we do a lot of recording that doesn't even necessarily make it to records mm-hmm. or kind of like longer works in process because for us it's like part of the process we don't usually go in with a really defined thing we're like let's record let's see what happens let's see what happens and but we have a record for irreversible entanglements that's coming out in march excellent kind of like their it's their second record that we've put out and their second record period It's cool. It's a cool evolution of their sound. And then we have, we're in process with a lot of people who we've worked with before making new records. We're like helping Dos Santos with a new record right now. We're talking to Ben Lamarguet about new music that he's making. We have a record that we've been working on with Rob Mazurik, a new record for his Exploding Star Orchestra. Oh, very cool. Which is really cool. We've done a bunch of recording sessions for it, and it has a really incredible cast of people. Chad Taylor on drums, Ingebert Hockerflatten on bass, Jeff Parker on guitar, Damon Locks is on it, Tamika Reed, Jamie Branch, Macy Stewart, Nicole Mitchell. There's a whole cast of Rob's collab. People that Rob has collaborated with over the years are all part of this big band that he has. And the music is gorgeous, so I'm really excited about Hopefully that will come out this fall. We're still working on it. Excellent. Um, 
we're working on new two more records with Micaiah right now. Wow. Hard to know when they'll <laughs> see the light of day, but <laughs> maybe currently the plan is for both of them to come out this year, so yeah. we'll see. Okay. I'm not sure if you've heard he's a record that's coming out not through us on it's coming out on XL. It's a reimagining of a Gil Scott Heron record. Right. Of Gil Scott Heron's last record. Uh and we helped him work on it a little bit. It's an amazing record. So I'm very excited would, to hear that one. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Gonna, it's worth checking out. We're not putting it out, but I'm still excited for Micaiah because getting the chance to work with Gil's music and legacy is really an honor. And and what Micaiah did with it is is really cool. So I'm still excited about it. Yeah, when I heard that, when I when I got an email about that that announced it, I was so excited to hear that that was coming around. So I was like, what a perfect I don't pairing. Know they released one single. It's really cool. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Um, so a lot in the works. A lot in the works. Hopefully there'll <laughs> be even more. We've been working with Angel Batdawid on a second record too, but Angel's really good at doing her own thing and we're giving her the space to do that. Too, yeah. You know? Because if sometimes you've... you have to. That's part of working together on something is understanding that someone just needs the space to do their thing. Yeah. Because if, if you've never heard it before, anyone listening, uh, her first album, The Oracle, that you guys put out last year, is such a fascinating, beautiful statement by an artist who I think she recorded almost all of it on her own on an iPhone. Do I have that right? Yeah. She did record it all herself on her <laughs> that's phone. That's crazy. I didn't think it was the whole thing, but that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She uh, she's she has this thing that she runs in Chicago called the Participatory Music Coalition, where it's kind of like a jam session and people from all skill levels can come together and play and she leads it. And a lot of the people in her band have come through that where she, she has a very diverse band where some people can't read music, but are, you know, ta really talented musicians and improvisers. And then other people who have like a, a lot of formal training or came up through the ACM and, and she made these recordings to help her band learn the songs because not all of them read music so she she's Angel's first and foremost a composer and a pretty prolific composer and so she just made these recordings to capture the spirit of the song and, and so that her band could learn the song and then she was showing us the recordings and it was like these are incredible they capture this magic that's really so difficult to capture yeah and just because she was doing it to do it not you know and for no other reason and, and like really expressing the spirit of what she was trying to convey and I, she, I think once she was done with them she felt like this was a thing that she wanted to put out in the world and we just believe uh, we really believed in her and believed in how strongly she felt about it and also the recordings are really magical and I think we were even a little hesitant like are people ready to like hear this record of things she made on her phone and we were like kind of like in a way like let's do it <laughs> I think we've learned I guess uh, one of the big things we've learned is to just trust is to trust the artist and and believe in their vision and sometimes when you know you as like the person that are trying to facilitate making the record are like oh let's be a little more practical or like I don't know uh, learning from them that like they'll make decisions that might kick in that instinct for you and some so often that's like the crucial leap that makes the album so special and like learn uh, we i think we've learned time and time again to really not get in the way of that and to to help facilitate that especially when someone's feeling that 
and Angel working with Angel has like really helped us learn that again and again as she continues to like surprise us with how amazing what she's able to do is and and believing in her and and letting her guide the way and seeing the reaction to the record like really <laughs> reinforced that like she knew she knew and oh yeah uh, it's been it's really fun to work with someone uh, and to like ha- to work with someone and learn from them i think that's one of the best things about having this label and like being a part of these community and getting to work with people like angel or ben lamar gay or Micaiah. like it's really awesome to collaborate with them absolutely well hopefully you are excited if you haven't heard international anthem recording companies uh releases you're excited to hear them now uh talking with dave allen one of the co-owners of the label head over to intlanthem.com for more information you can also find them on Bandcamp and elsewhere dave thank you so much for coming down to talk about the label thanks for having me That's all for this edition of World of Noise. Thank you to Dave Allen of International Anthem for being on the show, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week. I'll be speaking with Chris Slusarenko and John Moen of the band Eyelids about their new album, The Accidental Falls. And I'll be chatting with the members of the band Dark Swoon to learn about their history and the inspiration behind their dark, seamy sound. All that next week on World of Noise. Until then, thanks for listening.